A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is Dr. Richard Vincent, a psychologist from the School of Life. The School of Life is a great organisation designed to help us navigate our mental health challenges in a really practical way. They publish some great books and Richard has contributed to the newest one, which is called On Mental Illness, What Can Calm, Reassure and Console. It's out in April, you can pre-order it now, and I can highly recommend it. I really enjoyed speaking to Richard about the School of Life and the stuff we can do to help ourselves and others when they've been through depression, trauma, addiction, or any of the other bullshit that can mess with our lives from time to time. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Richard Vincent, welcome to The Reset. Hi, it's really nice to be here. Thanks, Sam. Uh, Thank you. Um, Before we get into talking uh, about this wonderful book, um, I'd love to understand more about the School of Life. I I know a little bit about it because um, I'm a big fan of of another one of of the books that that you guys have published, which is just called School of Life and Emotional Education. And I've quoted it quite a lot in the Reset newsletter before. So tell us about what it actually is, how it came about. Of course, yes. Um, so um, the School of Life is an organisation um, uh, dedicated really to help people live more fulfilling lives. Um, it um, publishes books, which is part of the reason why I'm here today. Um, some films um, on YouTube and other, um, other platforms. Um, does some workshops, both online and in person, um, and um, also does some sort of uh, business training and, um, uh, and and that kind of thing too. Um, it was uh, set up by um, uh, an author and philosopher, um, Alain de Botton, um, who's been a very successful um, uh, uh, writer. Um, but he also wanted to um, uh, create something with some other founders um, that was uh, more of a sort of movement and an organisation. Um, so we are a commercial organisation, but we're... Um, doing our best to help people uh, live more uh, fulfilling lives. And it's been around for about 
10, 15 years, 15 years or so, I think. So when you say live more fulfilling lives, what, what's the sort of ethos behind that? Because, of course, you know, there's a, a lot of different, you know, schools of thought and a lot of different um, organisations and institutions that, that say that they would help us live more fulfilling lives. What's at the heart of um, the school of life? I think like lots of the words that um, are used uh, both in the books and um, in uh, the, the other uh, messaging that we send out, um, uh, it's chosen quite carefully. Um, a fulfilling life isn't necessarily a happier life. Um, sometimes is, but that's not necessarily um, uh, the most um, most sort of appropriate um, uh, way to sort of... Um, direct ourselves um so um uh, I, I suppose um fulfilling in, in in this sense is um to give ourselves more meaning um to try and uh, live according to our emotional needs really um quite often as i say that makes us happier but um sometimes um it can make us quite stressed in the short term but can make us more fulfilled and satisfied in the longer term for example there is a need isn't there in in society, I guess, for something that can kind of give us some sort of meaning uh, or a framework for how to live that's not necessarily based on religion and spirituality, uh, you know, is it, fairly practical, but at the same time, it, will, it, it sort of encourages people to look at their lives a little bit more inwardly. Uh, it's talked about a little bit about the fact that... Um, uh, religion sort of receded somewhat, at least in many parts of the world, um, but wasn't really replaced with anything substantial. Um, and it might be that some of the guidelines or the, the, the thinking um, uh, involved in religion may not have been particularly tolerant or not even particularly emotionally healthy, but it was a framework um, and it was something that provided some certainty and stability for people. Um, and um, uh, it can be quite psychologically destabilizing, I think, um, without having um, w- without having that. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and it, it, you know, I, I sort of often feel I've never been a religious person myself, but I often feel that you know, in the absence of any guidelines for living or framework for your own kind of personal morality and ethics, what we've got in its place, really, in the generation we've grown up in is sort of capitalism, um, mm. which is not not been, I don't think it's been as evil as everyone thinks, but it kind of, it, it doesn't really fulfil us in, on any spiritual level, does it? I mean, you know, that we've basically been raised in a consumerist culture and not much else. Um, do you, but do, do you think that, you know, the, the, the ideals that, uh, you know, talked about by the school of life, they, they, they're about how to navigate that world. They're not trying to change that world. They're how to perhaps navigate it a little bit better. I think so, yes. Yeah, that's a really nice way of putting it. Uh, I think um, uh, doing our best to be somewhat reflective about the currents that are carrying us and it, it influencing our journeys in life um, does allow us to think about you know, whether we want to go this way or that way. Um, the idea that, you know, the market can decide, even though the School of Life is a commercial organisation, but the idea that um, uh, you just, one just needs to go with whatever the um, uh, the commercial sort of um, 
uh, current suggests, um, I think is, is not the case. Um, and certainly the School of Life uses quite a lot of um, philosophical ideas, um, cultural ideas, um, in a way that I think is quite novel um, to help us um, just stop sometimes and think, you know, what do I need? What, what's good for me at the moment? Um, how did you become involved in the School of Life, Richard? Well, I'm the, um, the clinical lead of the, the psychotherapy service. Um, I'm a, um, a counselling psychologist who uh, specialises in psychotherapy and I joined the team. Um, I was a second member of the team um, about six, six years ago. Um, prior to that, I had some uh, experience working privately and working in uh, both uh, the NHS and some charitable organisations. Um, and um, I've been here ever since. And so what do you think from your experience working in, in uh, psychotherapy privately, NHS and now at School of Life, what do you think the state of, of you know, therapy, psychotherapy and what we offer to people as support, you know, what do you think the state of that is at the moment? Well, gosh, that's a hot potato question. Um, uh, I guess um, uh, there's a lot of pressure on it. Um, so um, there is support, um, uh, but it's support in quite a prescribed and defined way, and it only lasts for really quite a small amount of time. Um, certainly compared to the financial outlay, therapy is not massively expensive, really, not compared to, uh, I don't know, um, you know, sort of major operations, um, but it, it's tightly squeezed. So the the experience I think of most um, most clients is to go through deal with a particular urgent acute issue, and then um, to leave. The idea of being able to work through an urgent or acute issue, and then have a little bit more time to decide what we want to do with our lives is. Um, not really allowed or not really accommodated in um, uh, in the sort of, uh, certainly in public health care. I think that's a real pity. It's also dictated the type of therapies that are available. Um, and I think, you know, we do need to talk things through with people. We need to be able to chart what kind of life we want and probably will be more, uh, what's the word, valuable members of society in one way or another will probably contribute more. Um, so let's move on to talking about the book um, on mental illness. What can calm, reassure and console? And I should say, you know, you're not the, the author of this, but this book has been um, written by a collection of people at the School of Life. So the School of Life itself is, is the, effectively the author of this book. Um, but what can you tell us about, um, you know, the, the idea behind it? Why is this book necessary? Um, I think uh, um, I think people quite often go from being well to ill in current society, um, particularly when it comes to mental health. And actually, um, uh, for many of us, we've passed through periods of mental illness. Um, come out the other side and we might pass through them again. 
Um, so in some ways to sort of normalize this process, um, talk about some things that are helpful, um, but not in a particularly um, off-putting or medical way um, so that um, it's sort of accessible and something that uh, allows people to feel um, reasonably destigmatized about the difficulties of, of, of living that they're going through. How's it structured? What sort of uh, stuff does it does it cover? Um, there's um, fourteen therapeutic moves, um, which is a, <laughs> a nice description, um, and um, uh, they they encompass all sorts of things, um, uh, including things like reasons for living. Um, that's the first one, which is quite important, of course. Um, uh, how we regulate our, um, uh, our our emotional lives, um, how we accept ourselves, um, what role, if any, medication might play, um, love, an often neglected um, a part of recovery, um, not always a sort of soppy romantic sort of love, but the kind of consistent, caring love that comes um and becomes invaluable when people are um, on the road to recovery. Um, a little bit about psychotherapy, a bit about um, uh, society as a whole and its influence, social media, that kind of thing, um, when we might decide to sort of retreat uh, a little bit from that. Um, and then um, I suppose some more sort of uh, approaches to life uh, in terms of self-compassion, gratitude, um, and towards the end, uh, pessimism and scepticism, um, which um, might not always be associated with recovery, but of course, trying to live a perfect life tends to be a sort of recipe for disappointment and depression in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, so sort of trying to uh, live well with what we've got um, uh, is, is, is also part of the ethos. Uh, I'd like to go back to some of those things and yes, look a bit deeply. I mean, <clears throat> love's a really interesting one, but what, what do you mean? What do you guys mean by love? And explain to me, you, you know, exactly how it can help people. Well, I mean, I, I think it's great if we have a, a partner, parent, somebody who's close to us, who um, uh, loves and supports us in one way or another, but um, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, but very often when we, uh, whether we're suffering from addiction or mental illness or, 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 or different um, travails, uh, it's quite often to, difficult to find that kind of support. Um, I think the love that we're talking about, um, uh, some, uh, some sense that there's a sort of unconditional acceptance of us, um, a lack of judgment, um, uh, patience, reassurance, these kind of things that um, they don't necessarily have to come from somebody that we're in love with. Uh, um, you know, sometimes it can be uh, a carer um, who um, uh, is involved, whether it be on a ward or whether it be sort of in the community. Sometimes it can just be somebody who provides conversation in the park when, when we're walking our dogs or whatever. So it doesn't have to necessarily be um, a sort of, uh, what's the word, like a central person. Um, it, it, it is that more sort of caring, uh, supportive sort of love, I suppose. 
yeah, understanding, um, forgiveness, I guess, is is part of that. I mean, these are important things that if you have someone in your life who might be recovering from addiction or trauma or depression, these are the ways in which, you you know, we, we can express love, aren't they? Even if it, like you say, it's not towards someone we're in love with. But when we, when we need to help people, you know, what what other ways should we express that kind of love to them? I mean, I think they um, used the word mushy earlier. Um, I mean, <laughs> for those of us who've um, been through this process, I mean, it doesn't feel mushy at all. Forgiving somebody when they've done something, <laughs> whether it be under the influence or because um, life was very unstable at a point. I mean, it's massively, massively difficult and massively, massively meaningful, isn't it? Mm. Um, I think... Um, uh... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Some of the other things, um, things like loyalty, for example, um, sticking through things, sticking with us, even though uh, we've sometimes... Um, tested a friendship or tested a relationship Mm. I think that's really sort of helpful just sort of being able to endure um that's very um uh sort of under uh underestimated perhaps in terms of the value when you've been through a difficult time in your role as a psychotherapist and obviously that you know you talk about the importance of that in in the book what do you find is people, we, we have a problem with men and this podcast is aimed particularly at men mm. um, in that there is a sort of a, a scepticism or resistance sometimes to seeking the help of, of therapists or going into therapy. And a, and a lot of blokes, I know it was the case with myself, leave it until some sort of crisis forces them into that. And so there's an assumption that the only people in therapy are people who've experienced some kind of, crisis or collapse or or terrible depression in their life um since i was forced into it by crisis i'm you know seven years later i'm i'm you know continually wishing that i had just done this as naturally as going to the bloody dentist a few times a, a year you know um what what is the biggest resistance that you find you know uh to to people from people and how do you overcome that kind of resistance when people are a bit skeptical about the value of of therapy i think you're right um uh, particularly about men seeking therapy um and and indeed the types of therapy that they then um uh, tend to seek um 
I think probably the biggest difficulty, um, certainly if it's a male-to-male therapist and client, um, being vulnerable to each other. Mm. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it can sometimes take a long time for that. Um, uh, I think sometimes there's a, uh, sometimes there's a different um, dynamic uh, if there's a male to female therapist, but often not. I think we're, we're schooled to behave in certain ways as men. Um, it's very, very difficult to let that down, particularly when we're feeling um, you know, at our most vulnerable place. In some ways, we sort of cling on even more sometimes, I think. Mm. Um, in terms of how, um, uh, at least how I work with it, I think um, uh, trying to acknowledge it, I think, really from the very first session, the fact that it might be difficult um, to sort of, you know, um, lean into each other um, and, and, and be sort of um, soft and embracing um, in, in a sort of emotional sense. But that doesn't mean that it's not worth doing. Um, and there's enormous value, even if the, the shift is not sort of as dramatic as it might be on TV. Um, sometimes um, even small shifts, small sort of fragments of um, support and being able to um, express more, just have really, really long-standing and um, profound uh, uh, sort of uh, effects on um, people's lives. Mm. I'm interested in, in what you said earlier as well, the words you use, scepticism. Yes. Um, <laughs> I have always been... Uh, an anxious person. Um, it, I think it was one of the sort of re- reasons behind me developing a drink problem mm. um, is that I was kind of constantly riddled with fear of the future and a tendency to catastrophize about every last thing that happened. And what I found has helped me a lot in recent years become a million times better at, at you know, kind of controlling my anxiety is to sort of basically try to not listen to my own thoughts and not trust them as as readily. You know, they still occur to me and I see them creeping into my mind, but I now have a way of just not take, reminding myself to not take them seriously and try my best to ignore them. Whereas before my survival instinct tended to tell me that if a worrying thought came along, I really needed to give it my full attention. And if I didn't, I would leave myself exposed to harm or damage. Yes. Now I'm kind of like, just ignore those worries, keep on living. And if something bad does happen, well, you'll just cope with it when it comes along. Bit of faith in myself to cope with it. Um, That sort of thing I lived with for years where I thought I could sort of prepare myself and mitigate against any single problem that could happen just by thinking constantly was a real burden to me. So when I hear the word scepticism, and I might be completely wrong here, right? Um, I sort of think, is it is it a little bit about being sceptical about your own mind? Yes, yeah, no, 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 not in an undermining kind of way, but um, uh, just in the um, uh, in the sort of sense that um, you know, at times we can mislead ourselves. Um, we can hold ourselves lightly. We can be curious um, about um, uh, what might be going on. We don't necessarily need to act immediately. Um, and, and as you said, um, I think you said uh, that you could sort of 
just stop worrying. And actually that, I'm not just stop worrying, just stop um, uh, being in the grip of these sorts of thoughts. Um, you're right, you, we do have the power to do that, but gosh, it's difficult to do, mm. really difficult to do. Um, at, at some point we, we learn to do it, um, but um, from the sound of your, uh, of your own experience, um, it wasn't an easy process. You had to go through quite a lot of sort of, um, you, you, you know, really uh, traumatic sort of experiences um, and probably quite a lot of therapy, quite a lot of, uh, you know, introduce a bit more kind of flexibility in the patterns of, uh, of all of our minds that allows us to be able to sort of just let one thought come in and not stay and just sort of leave. Um, there are different sort of techniques to doing that, which we sometimes do in the psychotherapy team, but um, uh, it, it's, um, it's an art and it, sometimes it's something that um, can just sort of wane a little bit. And before we know where we are in a particular period of our life, we can find ourselves being preoccupied again. I think the situation in Ukraine is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's, very very difficult to turn our attention away you know from a kind of almost an hourly vigil of what's happening um and yet uh most of us know that we're not able to do very much about it um and that um uh we can keep tabs on it a lot less frequently but it's it's very difficult not to be sort of um preoccupied Mm. um i suppose that example um uh can be sort of expanded across all of our lives to all sorts of different things. Uh, going back to, you know, the fact that I myself and a lot of other people only ever come around to sort of examining this sort of stuff as a result of our own personal crises. As a yeah. dad, I often think, I really hope, and I try to share stuff as much as I can with my kids without freaking them out or boring them, you know, about this sort of stuff that, that you and others at the School of Life deal with every day. You know, the sort of design for life, the intelligent and and sort of and, and kind and sensitive way of kind of looking at how to navigate yourself through a kind of confusing and stressful world that mm. we all live in. I really kind of wish that that was something that was somehow infused in me and everyone else from childhood onwards, rather than something that I had to discover in middle age as a result of, you know, going through pain and trauma. I mean, is that is that something that we can realistically aspire to? Is that something that school of life aspires to? What? How do you? Th- how realistic is that? I mean, I think that I feel as if kids should be learning about this stuff at school rather than learning about it when they're in their forties and have just gone through hell. I mean, it would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, I think um, uh, I'm not sure how old your kids are, but um, uh, I get the impression that there's more teaching of emotions and feelings mm. sometimes with hilarious results but you know <laughs> generally sort of in, in, in a positive way mm. um certainly than there was when i was growing up um but i do think um uh, and this is part of why the school of life is called the school of life really that um uh, this uh idea that you know the vast majority of our life um is uh, to do with relationships and in, in a sense managing our own emotional world um so surely a good proportion of our education and our development should be spent 
at least considering it. Um, but that's not the case most of the time. And what about you, Richard? I mean, working in this field, does it help you personally as well as, you know, you're doing it to help others and you're doing it for professional fulfillment, but is it, you know, doing what you do for a living, does it help you with your own mental health because of the fact that you're focused on these matters on a daily basis? It can do. Um, uh, And most of the time it does. I mean, I'm lucky. I enjoy um, what I do. um, And, um, I suppose uh, a lot of what I do is trying to see the world through other people's lenses um, and then doing my best to um, see if there are any kind of adjustments or um, uh, suggestions that might, that might help. Um, I think um, most of the time uh, it's helpful because it, then allows me to look at my own life with a slightly different lens. Um, and then that sort of helps keep that level of sort of flexibility. Um, as a younger man, I um, in my 20s, I experienced quite a lot of anxiety and depression. Um, and much of that, I think, uh, could have been aided if I had just more lenses to look at what was going on. Mm. Um, but we get very stuck in um, a particular uh, view and way of thinking. And it's very difficult to sort of, you know, be fluid and creative about it, I think. What would you say to people who are struggling to, this is a lot of people struggle these days with not feeling quite enough, not feeling productive enough, not feeling as if they are where they should be in life. Mm. Um, and, and often just, sort of beating themselves up about shit, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that must be something that you commonly encounter. Are there any broad bits of uh, advice or suggestions you, you can give to people who may feel that way about themselves? Most of what's on show um, uh, doesn't correspond to what I listen to in the therapy room. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people um, have um, challenges um, uh, with living, um, just as simple as that, really. Even the people who um, uh, seemingly have sort of made it or have an easy life, uh, their lives are just more complex and they still have things that are, are really difficult to deal with. Um, so I think we sort of compare ourselves to people and imagine that people are having um, uh, an easy life. Um, most people spend an awful lot of their time managing things that are imperfect and difficult. Um, That's not a pessimistic view. It's actually quite a liberating, quite sort of um, uh, of a positive view in many ways, um, because it means we don't need to feel like we have to sort of compare ourselves particularly to it. Fascinating stuff. Um, Really great. The book is called On Mental Illness. It's by the School of Life, what can calm, reassure, and console. It is out in April. Um, and uh, yeah, and everyone should go out and buy it because, uh, like I said at the start, I'm a fan of the output of the School of Life. I think the work you guys are doing is absolutely fantastic. And I really appreciate your time, Richard. So thanks for joining me on the reset. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And um, I really uh, appreciate the. Um, uh, 
the, the efforts that your um, your broadcasts are doing to sort of make uh, masculinity and mental well-being something that is uh, can coexist together. Yeah, well, let's <laughs> hope so. That's the plan. Uh, cheers, Richard. <laughs> Take care. Thanks. There you go, Dr. Richard Vincent from the School of Life. A lot to think about there. Some great advice if someone close to you is going through some mental health challenges and you want to help. But also great advice for helping yourself too. When times are tough and you're feeling low, stressed, exhausted or whatever, remember, don't be too tough on yourself. We all spend too much time beating ourselves up, I think. Try being a bit gentle with yourself instead. Get some rest. Ignore the critical voices in your head and just prioritise getting yourself well. That's it for this week. Remember that the new book on mental illness by the School of Life is out in April and I will add it to the reset book list, which you can find at bookshop.org. Remember also to subscribe to the reset for my weekly newsletter too. You can find it at samdelaney.substack.com. Until next time, gang, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.